Mac Power Users, episode 642, The Shortcuts for Mac Field Guide. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Stephen Hackett, how are you today? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm feeling really good, man. I am feeling pretty darn good. We got the Shortcuts for Mac Field Guide is now in the world. I'm pushing the launch button as this show hits the airwaves. That's awesome. I know it's been a big project and we're going to get all into it. We're going to talk about Shortcuts for Mac this episode. Uh, but first, we have actually quite a few announcements. So yeah. uh, up first, we are having, you and I are hosting a meetup on Saturday, June 11th at this uh, burger place uh, out in California. There's a link in the show notes to a post in the forums that I put with the address and the time and everything. But if you're in the area, we'd love to see you. It's got outdoor seating. And it's going to be low-key, kind of hanging out for a few hours with uh, anybody in the area. Yeah. And just to be clear, there's a burger place there, but there's also a pho place and a ramen place and a Whole Foods. Like, whatever you want to eat, you'll be able to find it there. So come ha- hang out with us. Eat some good food. Let's 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 just be nerds together for a few hours. Lots of outdoor seating. So we're all good. Yes. Then on Tuesday, June 14th, you and I will be recording a live episode of Mac Power Users with a a virtual audience via the webinar platform that you use. There's a link in the show notes to register for that. Uh, We'd love to have as many people as possible register, come watch it live. You can ask questions. And then that will be posted as the episode the next Sunday. And so if you you can't make it because it is in the middle of the work week, uh, it'll be out as our as our episode. In that same session, you and I are going to record our annual special for Relay FM members this month. Yes. Uh, and really into June. It's kind of two months now because we have so many shows. We release annual specials that no matter what show you support at Relay, you get all of these. And, uh, of course, I would suggest more power users, which is the ad-free longer version of this show. But if you... Uh, back automators or focused or connected anything else that we do you'll you'll get to hear this too and david you and i are going to debrief about my trip to disneyland uh we're going on monday the 13th so the next day we're going to record sort of uh, my impressions and how that trip went yeah i am actually really stressed about it now because i didn't realize Stephen, that you get motion sickness oh yeah so it's like my whole strategy for your day is changing. We've got at the house, we've got a whole wall to dedicate. I've got yarn pictures. It's uh, we're working on it. We're going to give you a good time at Disneyland. One, uh, you, you think that's all the announcements, but <laughs> there's one more. Yeah. WDC, as you listen to this, is about a week away. Uh, so a couple of th- that means a couple of things. Uh, one, next Sunday, June 5th, uh, there will not be an episode of MPU. So the next episode, episode 643, we're going to record sometime after the keynote in State of the Union, and that'll be out late the 6th, early the 7th, kind of depending on where you are. And then we'll have a normal episode on the 12th, and then the next episode for that will be our live Q&A. So the June schedule is kind of weird. But uh, we wanted to be able to record after WBDC, talk about our impressions, and we figured an episode the day before would kind of get lost a little bit. So 
So that's our plan. And I'm very excited to say that I will be attending the WBDC, you know, out, I guess it's outdoor. I don't, I don't actually know, uh, but their keynote streaming, uh, at Apple park. So I was invited, uh, I'm going out there with Mike Hurley, my co-founder at relay FM. And so I'll, I, I will also be able to talk about what it was like in person. So that's going to be a lot of fun and, uh, I can't wait. I'm really excited. I am so excited for you guys. I know that like you and I got to attend together when they announced the Mac Pro the last time. I'm really hoping you get to see the new Mac Pro. I mean, I don't know. But uh, having boots on the ground for Mac power users is going to be great. So when we talk to you, you can give us a lot of impressions. Hopefully you'll be able to talk about, you know, Apple Park and some of the cool stuff you're going to see. Man, I am I'm just thrilled for you. I am. I'm actually going to be watching it with Johnny Ive that day. Uh, he called me up the other day. He said, okay. Hey. So we're going to be in his private jet, just circling over Cupertino while it's happening. And um, that's me. And I'm going to be drinking champagne out of champagne glasses that cost $4,000 per glass. That's not the champagne. That's the actual glass. The actual glass. Yeah. Well, you know, again, the motion sickness thing comes up for me. So. Yeah, well, it's okay. I mean, I know that you had to like settle and go to Apple, but you know, <laughs> Johnny and I will be happy to wave down at you once in a while. Oh, the other thing is, he told me that if I go, that the entire interior of the plane is white. So don't wear anything white or people will bump into me. That's what he said. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm going to wear all black that day. There you go. Like all right. I'll report forward. on that as well that day. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so that's the next couple of weeks on the show. Uh, forgive us for the sort of unusual uh, circumstances, but there's a lot going on in June, you know? Yeah. I, I really wanted to have a fresh show right after WWDC. Historically, we usually wait till the week after, but uh, I'm really excited about what Apple's doing lately. And, you know, this is, you know, this is the Super Bowl for Apple nerds. So uh, I wanted to get something out sooner this week. So like I said, I'm sorry, we won't be there for you, your Monday drive, but on your Tuesday drive, you're going to have a really cool show to listen to all about WWDC. And, and honestly, Stephen, I am, I'm really jazzed for you. I, I, I think has Mike has never been to a keynote, right? This is his first one. This is his, this is his first one. So uh, I'm excited to share that experience with him. And you guys have done such a great job building. Really, you got exactly what you deserve. I, I can't wait to hear about it. So anyway, so very exciting. We got a couple exciting things going on in June. What about more power users today? I mean, we got this is revolutionary, which we're talking about more power users today. I know we, uh, you know, we've been talking about the Mac Studio. I've got one. It's my desktop machine now, and it had been tucked underneath, kind of behind my Pro Display, but. It's now mounted under my desk. So I'm going to talk about that process, what I used, why I did it, have some pictures. So that, that'll that be uh, in more power users today. All right. Okay. Uh, so there's a little thing that I have just released to the world called the Shortcuts for Mac Field Guide. Hooray. Yeah, congratulations. This one has been a struggle. I mean, I started recording it in uh, last year in September. I had to wait till we kind of got towards the end of the beta. And pretty much everything I recorded in September has been thrown out and re-recorded mm-hmm. because things have changed with shortcuts quite a bit over the time. But the uh, yeah, it, it took really a year to kind of get it out because it took a year to get shortcuts in shape where I felt like it was uh, something I could you know recommend and teach. But I, I think shortcuts is in good shape, and this field guide came out pretty great too. 
there are uh, here's the numbers for the new one eight and a half hours of content 132 videos uh, you know i honestly don't try to make them that long in fact some people write me and say i'm not going to buy it because it's just too much you, you know get it down to two hours and i'll be interested and um that's just not the way I roll guys. You know, I just, I try to cover everything that you could need and their individual videos. You can skip whichever ones you want. And, uh, uh, this is the whole reason I left the iBook store so I could get as much content as I needed into a field guide. And it came out really good. I'm really happy with it. Um, this one has two different versions. This is the first time I've ever done that. Uh, there's a shortcut for Mac field guide, which you get everything I just talked about. And then there's a new one called Shortcuts for Mac Field Guide Plus. And the Plus version gets you everything in the standard version. But we're going to do a webinar series on shortcuts right afterwards for four weeks. And uh, so at least another four hours of content, probably more. We're going to have intensive question and answer. We're going to have some additional shortcuts, maybe even some guests. I've got a whole lot kind of on my wish list for that. That series will start a couple weeks after the launch. Uh, mid-June and uh, go for a month and uh, you get that. So uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, the uh, The pricing is uh, $49 for the standard version, $99 for the, uh, the plus version, but uh, there's a launch discount and that's going to be for a limited time. You get 10% off. Just go to the website. We'll have links there. The launch price is right there. You don't even need a code for it. You can just push the button and you're in. And uh, I'm really happy to see this thing go into the world. Yeah, and it, it really is fantastic. I spent the last several days going through a bunch of it. And if you've ever been through one of your field guides, I mean, people will know that it's laid out really logically. So you can kind of start from no knowledge and build your way up, which is something we we talked about this. We try to do on the show, right? We try to have this, yeah. this ramp through an episode from simple to more complex and Man, you're just you're so good at it. Every time I watch these things, it's like, man, I wish I had this skill set. Uh, you're such a good teacher and such a good explainer of things. I think people who have not gotten into shortcuts for the Mac yet are going to find it a great place to start. But I think also people who just want to take it further, there's plenty in there for them as well. You do a really good job at balancing all that, and yeah, just good job. I'm I'm so happy for you that it's out, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. I mean, and no secret to my technique is I always try to bring someone from zero to a hundred. But if you start at fifty, I think I have stuff for you there too. Um, in the Devon Think field guide, I added a new section called Devon Think Power Users, and I brought that to this one. And there, there are shortcuts power users. A bunch of people I've interviewed. Some of them shared shortcuts, and we talked kind of about some of the more intense stuff they do. And uh, I don't know. It, it just uh, it it feels really good getting it out. Uh, this one was hard to get out because there was a bunch of things that I had to record multiple times as, as shortcuts evolved. But the end product really is, I think, a good product, and I'm really happy with it. I think it's uh, just like shortcuts. I feel like we've been on a journey together, <laughs> but uh, I'm using shortcuts every day now, and I'm really happy with what Apple's done, and I think the field cut will be helpful. Uh, some people do uh, ask me because I, I did an early release for some of the labs members. So some of the labs people have already had it. And some people had asked, Hey, I don't really understand if I, you know, cause I have the iPhone and uh, iPad field guide for shortcuts. Do I need this one? And the answer is just kind of, it depends. If you only do shortcuts on iPhone and iPad, you're good. You don't need this. If you want to do it on your Mac, this is all, all eight and a half hours is shot on 
uh, Mac and then focus on Mac. And there's some very di big differences with shortcuts between Mac and iPhone and iPad. Um, so the, that's the difference. You know, if you want to get it for the Mac, this is the version for the Mac. I, I couldn't just tie it into the iPhone and iPad one because it needed another eight hours of video. And you know, that's, that took me, you don't want to know how many hours I spent on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, some, sometimes when you make a screencast, you put an hour into one minute of video. It wow. really is that bad sometimes, not always, but it is a significant multiple. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Uh, but, but it came out great. I'm really happy with it and I'm really proud of it. And if you are interested in getting better at shortcuts on the Mac, go check it out. Uh, like I said, that 10% discount is there for a limited time and you can, uh, you don't need a code. It's just going to be on the website. I'm going to put that live right before the show publishes. In fact, that's another thing I'm doing differently. Normally I announce to the world and then the following week we put it on Mac power users. This is the first time ever I'm releasing it to Mac power users before I tell the rest of the world about it. So you guys are getting in there. So let's talk some shortcuts for Mac basics. This is an app that started life actually outside of Apple as workflows. And then Apple yeah. bought them and everyone freaked out <laughs> and was worried. Yeah. But in the time since shortcuts has really, I think blossomed into a really solid now, not to say it's, it's not perfect, but a, a solid way to automate things on the iPhone and iPad. And then with macOS Monterey a year ago, Apple announced that it was coming to the Mac. And we will get into a little bit later some of the specifics of how it integrates with other Mac automation tools. But, you know, looking at this Mac version, what are some some differences between say the version on someone's iPhone and what they're going to get on the Mac. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because it really is full circle. If you talk to, well, they, you can't talk to them anymore. They work at Apple, but the original workflow team was very clear that they were inspired by automator. You know, they saw the automator in a kind of block style automation on the Mac and wanted to make that for the iPhone and iPad. And that's what ultimately led to workflow. And now it's gone full circle. You know, they, came into the Apple, they brought workflow, turned it into shortcuts, and now shortcuts is on the Mac in the process of replacing Automator. So this really is the spiritual successor of Automator, uh, which gives it some interesting angles in comparison to the iPhone and iPad. Uh, you know, the, one of the big changes, and we've talked about this on the show, is the shortcuts for Mac has scripting support that's just not available on the iPhone and the iPad. And by that, I'm talking about, you know, AppleScript, JavaScript, some of the underlying right. stuff that is quite difficult. Well, AppleScript is just impossible on the iPhone and iPad because it just doesn't exist there. And they brought that on to the Mac. And we're, we both talked several times about how happy we are that they've done that because that gives you almost a get-out-of-jail-free card with sh shortcuts where you can uh, add automations that aren't even written into shortcuts very easily on the Mac which is not necessarily possible on iPhone or iPad. The other thing that's different about it, and another couple things, and we can get into this later if we want, uh, is the nature of triggers and actions. Like the triggers on the Mac are more limited than they are on the iPhone and iPad. You know, the Mac doesn't have all of the same sensors that an iPhone does. Uh, so it's not going to have the same triggers. Uh, um, but, on the action side, I feel like the Mac has just really killed it with actions. I mean, not only did Apple bring in actions from Automator that 
we didn't expect, like things from the Finder and uh, some of the PDF actions, which have historically been on automators, but have not historically been in shortcuts. And they brought that over. But we've seen in the last six months or so, this kind of explosion of third-party apps showing up with shortcut support. Now that it's stabilized a bunch of third-party developers who I think have always been interested in automation, but never wanted to like go to the trouble of, you know, like Apple script support on the Mac, which Mm -hmm. very few people use, but now they say, well, here's kind of automation for the masses. So let's go ahead and add it to our app. And, uh, there has been a lot of support from traditional Mac developers that you, you know, I didn't know that we would see when this all started. Yeah. To me, that was one of the absolute biggest questions when this was announced does like does apple build all this and then it's just crickets from third-party developers and i've been really pleased that in the in the year since this has been announced that it's been a surprising number of developers who have added support to this and i think that that is that's really a, a sign that i think the community believes apple when they say this is the future of automation on the mac i mean that's a that's a direct quote from apple and having their uh, applications ready early on to support this has been it's been encouraging and i think if you're looking at you know maybe your automation stack on the mac and wondering when the time to move to shortcuts is or like it's it's a great time now because the support is there now just a year in and you know, that definitely wasn't guaranteed. It definitely could have been like a ghost town in there, but thankfully that it hasn't been. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile Software. Go to textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. With Text Expander, you can get your teams communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. So get your whole team on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone that needs to use it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and isn't spending time reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works. First, you store it. You keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. Next, you share it. You get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every day. You can organize it by department and then you expand it. You can deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any app you use. It's really great to have someone at the top figuring this messaging out and having everybody in the chain then able to use that same messaging. We use it at MaxSparky.com for exactly that purpose. It's really that easy. Text Expander is available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. It's also a dreadfully useful personal productivity tool with text expansion tools that just are unmatched. And best of all, you can get 20% off your first year. Just go to textexpander.com MPU to learn more and sign up to get that 20% off your first year. Text Expander was the original sponsor of the Mac Power Users. They make a great product. Go check it out. Once again, that URL TextExpander.com slash MPU. Thanks again to TextExpander for all of their support of the Mac Power users. So you mentioned triggers uh, a second ago. So these are the things that actually kick off a bit of automation. And the Mac definitely has fewer than the iPhone and iPad. What are this what are some that are missing? 
Yeah. You know, on the phone, for instance, you have a GPS device in the phone. So we have location aware triggers. You know, whenever I arrive at Disneyland, it puts me in theme park, you know, focus mode. If you could call it theme park focus mode, but you know, it knows where I am at and it does that. Well, that's things like that just don't exist over on the Mac because it's not really meant to be that type of device. And that, that puts some limits on you in terms of triggers, but then there are additional triggers on the Mac that actually make a lot of sense here that don't make as much sense on the other devices. Like you can launch shortcuts with a keyboard stroke, you know, I mean, you can have a keyboard trigger to launch a shortcut and, you know, I, I sh- all this stuff is shared. It, basically anything we talk about today is, is in the field guide. So I'm not going to keep saying that, but the, yeah, uh, there's a bunch of different triggers you can use to, to get things launched. They have like a menu bar app where you can click on the menu bar and trigger a shortcut from your menu bar. And again, that's just not something you see. I mean, clearly when they brought shortcuts to the Mac, they're like, okay, this is a different platform. We have to rethink some of the mechanics of it. And there are things they gave us on the Mac that they're not going to give us on iPhone and iPad and vice versa. Uh, the The limitations largely are sensor-based. You know, the, the iPhone just mm-hmm. has more sensors. And as a result, you know, less triggers. I, I expect that, you know, we'll get more triggers as shortcuts evolves and gets more stable. Another uh, a trigger that we have in shortcuts on the Mac that we don't have over on the iPad and the iPad is uh, services slash quick action menus. Like if you right click on a file on the Mac, you get the services menu or the quick action menu, which like shows up in the finder. You can add shortcuts to that. So they really did a good job of like tying shortcuts into all the traditional triggers for automation on the Mac. Uh, But they didn't, you know, they didn't give it triggers for things where the Mac doesn't have the right sensors. Yeah. I think where the lines have been drawn mostly makes sense. I would like to see more on the Mac in terms of run a shortcut at this given time or at an interval, like maybe every X number of hours or X number of days run this in the background. Time-based trigger would make sense. You're right. Yeah. But there is a little bit of an escape hatch because you can run shortcuts from the command line. And so you can have stuff set up in the command line to run at certain times, like, uh, cron jobs and stuff and I guess fire shortcuts off that way but to me that's the lowest hanging fruit I think as far as triggers on the Mac for instance I have a a bit of automation that goes out and downloads ev- everything from all of the RSS feeds that RelayFM puts out and it compares what it has locally versus what's on the servers and then pulls down new ones it's basically a backup of all of our shows and their RSS feeds yeah and I run it every, you know, three or four weeks, kind of when I think about it. But like, it would be awesome to have a shortcut just counting time in the background. And every two weeks, it just launches that script and runs that bat, you know, in the background for me. I could set it up to do it in the middle of the night or something. Yeah. You could do that with a keyboard maestro script. Definitely. Just run it at a specific time. And then you can run the shortcut in keyboard maestro. They, they just did an update to keyboard maestro that helps run shortcuts. I mean, there's like a bunch of different ways you can get that done because of the fact that they left shortcuts so open on the Mac. But uh, I agree it should be built in at the same time. And there's a whole nother way to trigger shortcuts, which we kind of just referred to is through third-party apps. Keyboard Maestro does it. 
Hazel does it, you know, all basically all the keyboard launchers have the ability to index your shortcuts and launch them very quickly, which has turned out to be the way I launch shortcuts primarily is, uh, you know, just a Hazel uh, plugin. I, I do that more than I do it out of the app by far. Yeah. A lot of mine are the stream deck or the mini bar app. If I'm on my laptop. Yeah. I didn't even mention that too. You can also push a button on your stream deck and yeah. launch a shortcut. I mean, there's just so many different ways to launch them that, you know, I wish we had some of these, like the, the keyboard mechanism for launching shortcuts for the Mac is good. It's not a hundred percent reliable yet. Um, but the fact that you can do it is good. But then you get to the iPad and you're like, wow, I would really like to launch a shortcut on my iPad with a keyboard shortcut too. And it's not quite there yet. You know, hopefully soon, but we don't know. The real story, however, I think with this version is the actions. And we referenced it earlier, but there are so many actions that you can run or categories of actions you can run on the Mac. I feel like it's like a treasure trove. I did not expect it to be this thorough from Apple, and I definitely didn't expect it to be this thorough from third-party developers. But uh, there are, as we release the course, 57 different videos showing actions, like Hmm. all the actions you can do with a calendar or with things or you know, with MindNode or with Finder, you know, it's like, I just went through and, you know, as I made the course, more and more new apps started coming out with support for it. So I just kept adding them. And this is the section that just kind of blew up in terms of the course production, because it's like every time someone would give me a new toy box full of shortcuts tools, I'd like, well, I want to teach about this too. And, you know, at, at some point, you know, it, it just got crazy. You know, 57 videos is a lot for one category. The way that they are organized in shortcuts is, I guess it's similar to the iPhone where you have really three ways to find actions. You've got uh, a categories list, which sometimes the, the where things get categorized in that are really funny to me. It's like, why is this in documents and not somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the guy who did that had an early lunch that day. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You can also search by app, which will just give you a list of any applications on your system that have shortcut actions available. And so I can go through here and I can click, you know, oh, here's MindNode. And I see, you know, the half dozen that the MindNode have. Uh, But then you can also search for them, which I think is probably a pretty good way to at least get started if you're not like quite sure where something would be. But uh, do you have a preference? Like when you sit down to build something, are you looking at the app list? Like how do you go about it? Well, I searched them because I know them pretty well, right? I went through all of them in building the course. Um, uh, What I do is I recommend people, this is, I know that, you know, if you get the course, this is a lot of videos in this action section, but any app or, or, you know, function in this actions list of videos, I recommend you just watch them. And I feel like once you get in your brain that like, oh, these are the things I can do with that application, or these are the things I can do with the calendar, you know, you have the basic tool set in your head. Then the next time you're going to automate something that involves a calendar, you're like, oh yeah, I remember Sparky told me I can get a list of all the events that have a, you know, a meeting attached to them. Mm -hmm. So then you just go back and, and then build the shortcut around that. So you need to kind of know, it's, it's like if you were a carpenter, um, you need to know what's in your tool shed, right? Before you can 
you can work. You know, if you don't know what's in the toolbox, you don't know what you can do. And so that action section is really the toolbox for you. So I, I'd recommend kind of going through it and being aware. Obviously, there's some apps, third-party apps covered in here. If you don't, if you don't use the app, then don't watch the video. You don't need to learn about that. But just watch the ones that you're interested in. And then you kind of get those in your head. And then as you start building them, I always remember them. Honestly, I just type the search bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some other ways you can get actions is you can mark them as favorites. So I keep like some of my most commonly used ones as favorites. And a new feature they added last year that is actually pretty good is suggestions. And it's using a little bit of artificial intelligence where you start building a shortcut. And like if you have a like a text message if you have like a text box quite often it says well would you like to do an alert with that text because often when people have text they want to throw it up as an alert so it'll suggest the next action to you that it thinks you may want and uh i'm kind of surprised how often it has what i want in that list without me having to go dig for it yeah my recommendation to people would be to spend some time looking through this list because chances are like there's an app that you use every day and you you may not realize all that it supports or there have definitely been times when I've looked through here and you know it sparks an idea for something um and they do change over time as as apps get updated so it is uh like we said earlier it's just it's been very impressive i think to both of us how the community of mac developers has embraced this. Yeah, there's some real standouts in the action groups here. The stuff they brought over from Automator is done really well, and that's primarily Finder and PDF stuff. But you can also do some disk utility work via automation, which is not something I would have guessed that they would have done. You know, <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. kind of a surprise to me. You know, uh, but they also have uh, support for all the basic Apple productivity apps. You know, Mail, Calendar, that stuff. Um, some of the third party apps that really stand out to me is, uh, Fantastical did a great job. I played a little role in that cause I kept emailing the developer saying, you gotta have this, you gotta have that. Hmm. And finally, they just said, just stop sending us this stuff. We're already overloaded, you know, but the, uh, but like, if you want to see the new quarterly view, you can do that. Or if you want to change what calendars are present, you can really control your calendar view. And since I use shortcuts a lot for setting up, uh, uh, setups on the screen, like how my Mac is going to perform, uh, having the control over my calendar that way is, is I thought they did a, a really good job. The, um, a couple other third-party apps, I think they did a great job. Drafts, you know, not surprisingly just killed it. I mean, uh, we had Greg on recently. We all know, you know, Greg is somebody who's very invested in the platform and his, his shortcuts action list is on the Mac is kind of shocking how big it is. Some other ones that stood out to me, Dark Noise, which is just a noisemaker app. But man, I think he did a really good job with the shortcuts, of course. Of course, Marco with Overcast did a good job. The Home Cam app, which we've talked about on the show, where I can put up a specific view of one of my cameras. That's totally uh, scriptable with shortcuts now. The winner, and I've mentioned this, I think, when we had Federico on the show, was by far Better Touch Tool. I mean, Better Touch Tool is a necessary tool for shortcuts. I I don't know what happened, whether they snuck it through at Apple or Apple just let it go through and pretended like nothing happened. But a lot of functions that we wanted in shortcuts that we didn't get got added in Better Touch Tool. Like choose an item from a menu. Okay, sure. You can do that with Better Touch Tool. You can't do it with shortcuts, 
but you can do it with better touch tool, you know, just like some of the stuff that we wanted to script, um, uh, that, that I felt was a bridge too far for Apple. Apparently better touch tool had no problem adding it and they work great. And what a cool pivot for that application, right? That, Hey, there's this new whole new surface for automation on the Mac and the developer just went and embraced it. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of good automation tools on the Mac now. And the thing that I, I find promising about this is there are some historically bad automation platforms on Mac. Like uh, two that come to mind for me are calendars and contacts. I have been able to automate those in Keyboard Maestro and Apple Script for years, but they always involved like an extra degree of work. Like, well, like Apple Script gives you a lot of control over your contacts database. Writing a custom Apple Script every time you want to do something even basic with your contacts database, that's no fun, you know, and it requires debugging and sometimes Apple Scripts break and you go back and figure out what happened. Whereas like shortcuts makes calendar and contact scripting available to anyone and very easy. And, uh, and so I really feel like that is, is something to pay attention to. I, I did a couple of videos in this field guide, kind of comparing shortcuts to keyboard maestro and Apple script and some of the other traditional automation platforms on the Mac. And I won't say that shortcuts can replace them all because really it can't. There's stuff you can do on Keyboard Maestro way better than you can do them in shortcuts. But the opposite is true as well. And I think for Mac automators, we need to look at shortcuts just as like one more tool in the belt. And sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. But when you do need it, there really is no replacement for it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SourceGraph. So you've hired a new developer. That's awesome. But now you have to get them on board with with your technologies. And if your company is growing, onboarding new developers is going to happen more and more. So you need a system to get this done. It can be tricky if the code bases you use are already large. But Sourcegraph makes it easy to move quickly, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is the most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different places, how do you make knowledge accessible to those who need it? Sourcegraph is a code intelligence platform, giving developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph, well, they rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know that it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. And today, they work with leading companies across every industry, including three of the five top tech companies. Plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and so many more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com. There's a link in the show notes. Find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world are using Sourcegraph and see what Sourcegraph can do for yours. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of the show and Relay FM. Something that has changed with shortcuts over the last few years as the 
platform has matured on iPhone and iPad is I feel like more of the advanced concepts of shortcuts has become a lot easier and more accessible to people. Um, so I did cover that at some length. There's a whole section in, in it called advanced concepts. And there's a couple things that they've added that I think are worth note. Um, one of them is what they call import questions. So like if you make a shortcut for your dad, you know, about how to turn his lights on or set a calendar appointment or something, and it requires him to like have a variable of data or fill something in. And you don't want your dad to have to open the shortcut and figure it out. Right. Because dad will break it. If he opens it, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you have the ability now when you run a shortcut for the first time, say, Hey dad, you know, we're going to fix this. So it turns on one of your lights, pick your favorite light, or, you know, tell me what, you know, date you want to do something on or whatever. And it imports that data into the shortcut, makes it a part of the shortcut, and then never asks him again. And I think that is like so obvious that that should have been there from the beginning. But uh, they did it. They implemented it well in the Mac. And that's like one of the advanced concept issues. And then there's, of course, a whole bunch of programming stuff. You know, uh, the if condition uh, lists and, and things like that where you can kind of really expand your your understanding of shortcuts. Maybe we take a second and talk about uh about some of those concepts. Like I know some people when they're they're in shortcuts or they download one and they see something like variables, they sort of freeze up. So what are some things you think people should should look out for that maybe aren't as scary as they seem? Yeah, well, variables, first of all, are not as scary as they should seem. And I actually cover those in the basic concepts. There's two kinds of variables and shortcuts. There's the one where you declare a variable, you know, Stephen's, you know, birthday is such and such a date. Or there's what they call magic variables, where you can get a bunch of information out of one. Like if you point it at a website, you can get the title of the blog post or the text or the pictures or, you know, the URL. So you've got different information that also works a lot with, with calendar events. Like if you point it at a calendar event, you've got a start date, you've got an end time, you've got a title, you've got a location, you know, you've got all this stuff in there and shortcuts makes it really easy for you to say, okay, look at this calendar event and get me the start time. In fact, one of the useful shortcuts I list in it is a way to reschedule start times of your appointments. Like if you do calendar block in, you're like, Hey, I want to move everything back an hour rather than doing that manually. You just push a button shortcuts does it for you. And it's using those, those magic variables. So uh, I walk you through that. And I think that's not that difficult, but there's, there's even more on the advanced concept side that I think people are missing out on. Like uh, occasionally that's a topic of base 64 comes mm-hmm. up and everybody goes, what, you know, they don't know what base 64 is and it, it makes you crazy. Right. All that is, is, you know, the problem with shortcuts is it's not really a programming language in a historical sense. So you don't have a lot of the power tools you'd need to like make an app for your iPhone. And one of the things you want to do is like, maybe you want to put a graphic in something. Well, base 64 is how you do it. And base 64 is basically an encoding. And I, I don't want to lose you here when I say things like encoding encoder, but what you basically convert an image into a bunch of letters and you get this long string of letters and you paste it into an action in shortcuts and it reconverts it to the image. So it's a way of embedding images. 
Uh, I use it in the field guide. There's a sample useful shortcut where you can add a draft stamp to a PDF, you know, and it just does a base 64 encode of a draft stamp and then it drops it on top of your PDF. Federico uses it, you know, the Apple frames thing that he has on yeah. his website where you can push a button and it puts a iPhone frame. That's a base 64. It's just taking an image of an Apple iframe and dropping it on top of a screenshot. It's not rocket science, you know? So, so I, I walk you through how to do all that stuff. Another thing that people get confused about are dictionaries and dictionaries are just a group of variables together. Like one of the samples I have is a packing list and I use a, a second, like a, a little more complex version of a dictionary, but I walk you through it in the video where you can say, well, I'm going out of town. I need my iPad gear. And then it'll automatically add to your reminders, the iPad, the charger, the pencil, the case, all the stuff related to the iPad. You don't have to look at each individual one. You just say, I'm taking an iPad or I'm going out of town and I'm taking my camera. And it gives you a list of all the stuff you need for your camera. And that's using the dictionary. And I show you how to build all this stuff. You can download. I, I didn't mention the beginning of the show, but there's, I think, 120 or so shortcuts you download as part of the field guide. So, you know, you can download them and kind of like adjust them to make them work for you. But dictionaries is another thing I think people are afraid of, and it's really not that hard. One of the simplest concepts, which I cover uh, in the advanced concept section, is the choose from menu action and shortcuts. It's, it's a simple action in shortcuts that allows you to have a conditional. So it puts on your screen a list of things saying like open email, uh, you know, go to the, your RSS app, open this web page. You know, you've got three different things and you just press the button for which one you want to do. And then it goes and triggers the shortcut that does that. So it allows you to basically have a menu list. That's the reason why I can put all my shortcuts on my dock. I've got to choose from menu shortcut that kind of picks between them. So I, I really try to make this, this, this stuff accessible. I even went as far as things like regular expressions. Like I use a, a sample regular expression where I pull the first name from, if you put in Stephen Hackett, it returns to Stephen. Mm -hmm. So then when I'm sending an email, I can have it just pull your first name from the contact card instead of saying, dear Stephen Hackett. And, and all that stuff is something I really think anybody can do. I mean, you can do it if you download the the samples, but I think once you get your hands around how it works, I think that's something a lot of people can pick up on. I really want to see people try to get a little deeper into shortcuts. I mean, I, I really am not a, I'm not a huge proponent of making um, these massive shortcuts. I know Federico does amazing work on them and I know other people do as well. And but I think for most people, what they're looking for is like three to five step shortcuts that solve a little problem for them. But if you learn some of these advanced concepts, a lot of times you can make it just that much better for you. And you don't need to learn the advanced concepts only to make, you know, 100 step shortcuts. You can also learn the advanced concepts and make a really efficient three to five step shortcuts. And what's what's nice about shortcuts is that you can see how it all works right so if you download one of these shortcuts and it almost does what you're looking for well you can just crack it open and see the individual steps and yeah. replicate them or tweak them uh in your own in your own way and honestly that's how i've done a lot of learning shortcuts over the years is seeing how someone else does something and then adapting that to something that fits 
what I'm doing. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I study this stuff, but I also look at other people's shortcuts and see how they did things. I mean, it's, it's a nice community around it. Um, in fact, I, I have references at the end of the field guide for other resources that I think are good because there's just a lot of people making interesting stuff out there and why not, you know, um, share the stuff as we all figure it out together. But, but the, the, the main thing is I, and I really think Apple, I think their focus, why they say shortcuts is the future of automation. You know, there's something behind that because that shows me that they want more people to invest in automation. Mm-hmm. I think they realize that not a lot of people are going to learn how to program Apple script. Right. And, you know, for whatever reason, Apple never gave automator the oxygen it deserved to take off like shortcuts did. Right. I mean, I said earlier that shortcuts is the spiritual successor of automator. Well, if automator had been given the resources shortcuts had, we wouldn't have needed shortcuts, you know? Right. But the fact is now it does get the oxygen and now it is getting the support and the regular updates. And this is something that anybody listening to the show can probably find a use for. And there's just something delightful about that. Right. I mean, we talked um, about my launcher recently on the show, but like, so I have a choose from menu shortcut in my dock that has the little lightning bolt for Max Barkey. When I press that, like there's a list of like 20 different things I can do. And each one is really a, a small shortcut, like add a new task to OmniFocus related to Mac power users. And it fills in all the data for me. All I have to do is type in the name of the task and everything else is done for me. Well, that's just a two-step shortcut, you know, or even more basic, open a certain website URL that, that gets me to a page in Obsidian. It's a, it's a one-step shortcut. But the fact that I can put all that stuff on one button on my dock means that I don't ever have to open OmniFocus and do all the rigmarole to add a new task related to Mac power users. I don't mm-hmm. ever have to open Obsidian and navigate to that one page because I've already done it. You know, I mean, anything like even like I have one that is just says RSS launcher because I've been going on this journey where I keep changing my RSS app. So <laughs> rather than change all i do is go into shortcut and change the app that that button points at i've never changed the actual text because it just says rss yeah but now i don't have to go digging for my rss app i just hit one button in my dock then hit the rss button and whatever rss app i've chosen to use this this week gets opened you know and uh so that's you know stuff like that these are not super complicated shortcuts but when you start figuring out how to do the little ones suddenly they get a little bigger and suddenly you start like really coming up with some good ideas. I, and I think that's what Apple's aiming for to get to my point. I, I think they want people to use shortcuts to solve little sandpaper problems they face every day. And I think if that's all you do with it, that's good. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Apple has built this with the idea that you are automating 72 apps like back to back to back, uh, I think they want you, like you said, to build little things that just make your day-to-day life with an iPhone uh, a little bit easier. You know, one of my shortcuts that I use on a fairly regular basis is I've, I've got one that all it does is it takes my 
current location of my phone. So this is not a Mac shortcut, but this is an example of like something I could do manually, but it's just way easier to hit one button. Takes my location, figures out how long it's going to take to drive from where I am to get to where I get home and text that information to, to Mary, my wife. And I use that very often after bike rides because she wants to know that I, you know, made it safely back to my truck or back to wherever the ride started. And, you know, then she has an idea about what time I'll be home. And it it solves both problems. It's just a single button and it's an action. It's like three actions. Like it's nothing. Yeah. And it makes our communication and life together uh, a bit better. And I think that's exactly what Apple wants when they build these platforms out. And as your kids get older, to add them to that notification yeah. is trivial. You know, it just doesn't take much. Yeah, one that I run on the Mac every morning is uh, I because I'm a little manic about the way I manage my calendar. When I journal in the morning, I put down a list of my events for the day. And I had gone through this in a couple iterations. At one point when I was trying to do my journaling by paper, I would just draw a line vertically down the center of the page. And then I would just write down on the left side, my appointments and plans for the day on the right side, I'd write down how the day goes down. And I find that that feedback really useful Mm -hmm. because when I'd say, well, it's going to take an hour to do this thing. And then I realized it took me three hours at the end of the day. That's kind of a feedback loop, right? Where I say, oh, you know, next time I do that thing, I should probably assume it's going to take more than more like three hours than one hour. So I plan better, but Doing that on paper was easy enough, but I decided just to do everything digitally. I, I don't want to do as much on paper. And I, I was having trouble figuring out a, a good way to display that. And I looked at markdown tables and I, you know, you know, I'm a nerd. I tried a whole bunch of different stuff, but ultimately sure. what I found the easiest is just in my journal, just, just put a list of my events in the morning. And then as I journal the day, I can go back and compare how the day went to my actual plan. Mm-hmm. And so I made a shortcut that looks at my calendar and it pulls out for specific calendars, like some calendars it doesn't pull from because I have so many calendars, but it pulls a list of every event for the day. It gets in the start time of the event and the the event name, and it puts them into a plain text list with a dash between the time and the event and a carriage return after each event. So all it does is make me a text list of my calendar. Now I could type it out. That could have been, you know, something I could do. I could look at my, listen, just type it in the morning. But this shortcut, you know, using Alfred takes me like all of about three seconds to run. Oh, and then it puts that in my clipboard. So I don't even have to copy it. And then I just paste it into my, my day one journal. And there it is. And it's there at the end of the day. And I run that every day. I I actually shared that one in the field guide because I thought it was a good example of how you'd get a list of calendar events. I think a lot of people might, might find use for something like that, but you know, I just, every day just hit the button. It does it for me. Thank you. Shortcuts. And honestly doing that in keyboard maestro would be possible and Apple script would be possible, but it would not be as easy. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by indeed. Go to indeed.com slash MPU to get a $75 credit to upgrade your job post. There are no winners when you play the waiting game. When it comes to hiring, you don't wait for great talent to find you. You find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. 
Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Instant Match really is incredible. It'll just make hiring that much faster when you can see those candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined according to TalentNest 2019. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. You can start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash MPU. Now that offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash MPU. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. One thing we mentioned earlier is shortcuts support for legacy automation technologies on, on the Mac. And the way they did it, I think, is so smart and just very clean, where basically there is an action that says run this script. And you can run Apple Script, which, dude, launched in the 90s with like system seven point something. It's been around a long time, uh, but you also have shell scripting and some other things yeah. you can do within that action. Uh, were you surprised by that and the inclusion of that in shortcuts? Not really. I feel like, you know, and I've said this before on the show, but Apple script is so embedded in the Mac operating system that I don't think Apple could get it out if it wanted to. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, this is the fundamental kind of automation paradigm for the Mac. Uh, Sal Segoyan and some other really smart people put it in a long time ago. And the only question was, will they give us a trigger to it? They are not going to be able to pull it out. But, you know, why not just give us a trigger to it since it's already there, right? Mm-hmm. And they did. So I, I wasn't that surprised by it, to tell you the truth. And, and you know, I've talked to the Shortcuts team over the years, and those guys get it. You know, they really want to make it so anyone can automate. Did you ever see, um, uh, what was it? Um, the mouse was named Remy Ratatouille. Did you ever see Ratatouille? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the big chef in that, the, 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 the chef who had passed away, his, his, uh, book was anyone can cook, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think, you know, team shortcuts feels like anyone can automate. So of course they were going to put it in, in hindsight, you know, I, I feel like, I'm glad they did. I wasn't that surprised, although I have to say I wouldn't have been surprised if Apple didn't let them put it in. Hmm. But the fact is, short, uh, Apple Script is under that stuff, so we probably would have found a way to run it anyway. Like we would have run the Apple Script and Keyboard Maestro and combine it with a shortcut. We would have found a way to do it. So they went ahead and made it easy. Um, so I, I'm not entirely surprised, but that was a long answer to your question. But there you go. Yeah, I'm glad they did. I mean. There is such a history there of people building workflows on top of these tools and being able to to bring those into shortcuts means they can continue to live on because at some point automator will fade away. Like you said, they brought 
a lot of the the actions from Automator forward. There's still some left to do, and I expect we'll see more of that in the coming couple of years from Apple. But having sort of that escape hatch out to, hey, you're just at a point and you just you can't do it with the actions that are available to you. You know, just run this Apple script and it can take care of it for you. It it opens shortcuts up to all sorts of other types of uses and users that otherwise would have. I think not only felt locked out of it, but would have felt like their workflow is in jeopardy of of never you know, never moving forward, never being able to to move to the modern era. And by by its inclusion of these actions, uh, that's not a problem. And I think it was I think it was super smart. And if they hadn't done it, I think it would have been been a problem. It also makes me wish that they had put something like Apple script into iOS at yes. the beginning. Because just like I think they could never get Apple script out of Mac OS, I'm not sure they could ever get it into iOS with the way it has evolved. So that makes me a little sad. Yeah, I, I tend to think that it's it's stranded on the Mac. Agreed. So that makes in some ways shortcuts on iPhone and iPad a second class citizen because there are so many ways you can cheat your way around problems on the Mac using that Apple script call that just are not possible on the, the other platforms. So, you know, that's sad. Uh, Automator. So how long do you think Automator has to live? Because they obviously look at shortcuts. Like I think they've stated explicitly that Automator is going to go away at some point. Yeah. I mean, my guess is probably three or four years. I mean, <laughs> this comes out right before yeah. WBDC. So who actually knows, but I think it's going to take them a little time to get, get everything moved over. Yeah. I, I, it's Apple. So I could see them pulling the plug this year, but I hope they don't because they have not brought all the actions over yet. There are still automator actions that only run in automator and don't run in shortcuts. And I'd, I'd like to see them kind of completely, you know, move out of the old house and into the new one before they burn the old house down. So let's, uh, let's hope we've got a few more years with automator. Overall, uh, what is your general impression of shortcuts at this point on the Mac? I mean, you, you both, you and I are both kind of Mac users who use Macs a lot or Mac power users, you might say, what do you think? I've been really impressed with it. It was rough in the beginning that there were a lot of UI bugs and strangeness and like the app is still a little bit weird in places, but what it delivers is is so impressive to me. The way that they have, they've really built an automation system that now works across all of your Apple devices. And yes, there are caveats and things that only work in certain places, and there always will be because the iPhone and the watch are just different from a Mac. But you only have to learn really one set of skills to automate across any product in their ecosystem that is super impressive. And I I mean, looking back at the fear we had with the workflow acquisition, we are seriously in the best possible timeline leading out of that. What has come out of that has only been, uh, it's been beyond, I think, what we could have dreamed. And that is very exciting. No, I, I totally agree. It has come such a long way. Occasionally, it will vex you still. As you know, it's it's the first big app on Swift UI. So they're discovering, you know, Apple's doing what we always want them to do. They're eating their own dog food. And 
uh, you know, they're finding little problems here and there. Uh, six months ago, the problems yeah. made you want to throw a brick through a window. Now the problems just are a little frustrating. It's nothing like it. It was, I mean, you should start using it now if you haven't. And, um, I think you'll be fine. Uh, but either way, you know, I, I'm really proud of this, this field guide, you know, the, the fact that, you know, they had this platform come over to the Mac immediately made me want to build a whole course around it because I am such a fan of automation. And I do believe that anyone can automate and, and there are people for whom, you know, even keyboard maestro is a bridge too far and shortcuts for those people, maybe as far as they ever go. Like I did one of the power user interviews with Mike Hurley because he learned shortcuts pretty thoroughly on iPhone. So when it came to the Mac, he's like, okay, that's my platform. That's all the automation I'm going to do. I wanted to talk to a person like that as a power user. And he had some really interesting insight. Uh, So I I think this is something a lot of people are going to like. I think it's only going to get better over time. Uh, If you're interested in the field guide, check it out. Like I said, we got links in the show notes. You get 10% off for a short time. And I'd love to have you on board. You alluded that uh, this has been a long time coming and i remember when this was announced like we were in the betas we were talking and like it was a beta (laughs) last summer right but you've been at this for a long time uh getting this field guide out uh what are some of the the production snags you hit and and maybe uh some some wins you didn't really anticipate on the way well i mean it really i i wasted a lot of time at the beginning i should have waited in fact at some point that's why Devin thing field guide got done last year. I wanted to do the shortcuts for Mac first, but then I, I wasted like, you know, I don't know, let's say 60 hours, maybe more of time recording screencasts that weren't, I wasn't laid or able to use because things weren't going in terms of the mechanics of it. I, uh, I still kind of use the same platforms. I have Airtable in the background which I share with a couple of people that help me with some of the edits. And then I'm very, it's a very thorough kind of database and a bunch of them kept saying mm-hmm. bug waiting for Apple, you know? <laughs> and so I just, so I just, I just set the whole thing down. I walked away from it and I made the Devin Think Shield guy and I came back and uh, about January of this year, like suddenly things got way better. And if you look at some of the public listings, Apple started, moving people onto shortcuts that were historically related to automator and Apple script. It's like they brought in, you know, the people that are closer to my age who had been around a while and working on Mac automation a long time. They're like, Hey, we need you guys on shortcuts. That's, this is entirely my interpretation. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you brought in old time Mac automators, suddenly the Mac stuff got way better, way faster. And Credit to Apple for getting that credit to the shortcuts team for integrating those people. And honestly, credit to Apple for not waiting for WWDC to get the the bug fixes out because Apple was pretty aggressive with shortcuts, but suddenly about, you know, January I had wind at my back and it was just fun from then on, you know, making this field guide. Yeah. I've been, I've been really pleased that they have been willing to push some pretty big updates just in regular, like point releases to Mac OS. And in the beta, it was bug fixes. And in the time since it's been bug fixes and some UI stuff. And that's been as, as encouraging as anything else that they know that there's still work to do and they are willing to keep their, 
foot on the accelerator all year and not wait for June to roll around. Yeah. Something I've done differently with this one is I always have closed captioning on them. And as the field guide ships, everything is closed captioned, but I actually am paying a human this year to go through and proof everything because the closed captioning is done by a robot. So um, the closed captioning will actually be improving over time, which I'm excited about. And I'll be able to, uh, you know, have, as always, I'll have a PDF at the end with all the captioning. I'm not going to put that PDF until the human edits get done, mm-hmm. but so you can read it as well as watch it. Uh, something I've never done before is I always put the downloadable shortcuts in the attached videos, but somebody asked me recently, well, could you just put that in one file? I'm like, yes, I can. So, uh, there's like one page in the course where you can go and download, you know, the shortcuts as needed, you know, so you can see them all in one place. I'm doing again, that thing where I combine the videos. So, you know, it's 132, I say 132 plus because there's more getting added. You know, shortcuts, I mean, field guides for me are kind of an organic thing. I release them and then as things occur to me, I add more. With this platform, it's very easy for me to add stuff. But so uh, some people are like, I don't want to download 132 videos. Well, you can stream it. But if you're going to get on an airplane or something and you need the the local copies, I added a, a thing where you can press a button and get each section as individual downloads. So it's like 10 downloads instead of 132. So I've really tried to like, you know, work on all the kind of user-friendly bits of these products to make them as easy po- as possible for people. So that stuff always takes time getting that figured out. This episode of the Mac Power Users is made possible by Collide. Collide sends employees important, timely, relevant security recommendations for their Mac, Linux, and Windows devices, all right inside of Slack. It's perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but they don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your team, Collide educates your employees about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems themselves. Collide knows that for IT admins, the key to solving some of the more common security issues is to educate end users. They do this by instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and engaging employees to uninstall bad browser extensions that may sell their browsing history. These are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days with no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash MPU. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MPU. And if you enter your email when prompted, you'll get a free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. So go check it out. There's a link in the show notes. And our thanks to Collide for their support of MPU and RelayFM. So, Stephen, this week isn't just about shortcuts. This is also a week before WWDC. I thought it'd be fun to kind of take a last stab at things we'd like to see, things we think we might see as we're heading in. You know, I mean, I'm going to be out of touch with Johnny, and you're going to be at Apple Campus, Apple Park. So we should we should get our uh, our, our thoughts in right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the big questions every year is, uh, will there be hardware? 
I mean, obviously we're going to see new versions of all the operating systems. We'll talk about those in a second. But, you know, we're in this weird moment in the Apple Silicon transition where basically it's almost done, right? All that's left is the Mac Pro in terms of Intel machines. There's still like a high-end Intel Mac Mini floating around out there, but I think that'll go away with time. And so, like, is there a Mac Pro? But there's also now, you know, we're coming up on almost two years. This fall will be two years since the initial M1 machines. At some point, they're going to roll to the next generation M2. Do we think we're going to see any of that here? Like, what's your feeling on hardware? What would you, what do you think we'll see? Is there anything that, that you would like to see past that? I think there's really two different um, bits to this. Okay. The first is the Mac Pro, right? I mean, it's it'll be two years in fall on the hardware launch, but this WWC will be two years since they announced the Apple Silicon transition. And they said they'd be done in two years. And at the last event, was it John Turnus? I forget who it was that teased it, but they're like, there's only one left, the Mac Pro, but that's a story for another day. I mean, it's like he wrote a check. They need to cash that you yep. know, next week. All right. Uh, so I feel like the Mac Pro, I'd be surprised if that doesn't show up. Now, the other piece of this is, well, what about the M2? You know, the next generation of all this. And that one is a crapshoot for me because I feel like if they announce the Mac Pro, they're probably going to wait for the M2 until fall. Like, and that means the new MacBook Air and all that stuff that's related, probably, you know, the new Mac Mini, anything that's going to use that M2. I feel like they're going to hold their powder on that and just talk about Mac Pro. But that's, you know, I don't have any inside knowledge, but just kind of knowing how Apple likes to pace things out. I'd be surprised if they did both the M2 and the Mac Pro at the same event. And I really feel like they they all but promised the Mac Pro. Mm-hmm. And it's the right... Not that you're going to be able to buy one. No, it'd be coming out at the end of the year. You know, it will follow the pattern, I think, that the iMac Pro did in 2017 and and our, our Mac Pro did in 2019, where it's announced. And, and yeah. I think that they could announce this product and it have some high-end M2 shipping. Because like, that's the question with the Mac Pro, right? Is it M1-based or is it M2-based? And if it is M2-based, it's going to probably be the end of the year. And that gives them another six months to get all those other machines that you just listed out the door, right? The MacBook Air, 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, the iMac, all of those other things. And so... That's what I'm, I think, most curious about is what generation processor it's on. And then, of course, just what's the story with the Mac Pro? They, I don't think they can get away from having some card slots for expansion, but I don't think that expansion will include GPUs. I think GPU is going to be part of the system on a chip like it is everywhere else on Apple Silicon. Uh, you're not going to, you know, cram a, some AMD video card into it, like we've been able to the last couple of years. And they they just have to walk through that and explain that. And in some ways, that's walking back a little bit of what the 2019 Mac Pro did with the MPX modules. So it's very curious how that how that story goes and how it's told. But I think it's going to be exciting. You know, if anything... <laughs> If anything, Apple has more leeway to make this machine bananas because the Mac Studio exists at the price point that it does. And, you know, that starting $5,000 yes. for the Mac Pro in the Intel days, 
that doesn't have to be the starting price anymore. This machine could go really up market. It's going to mean it's it's for fewer and fewer people, but that's okay. Apple needs it, right? A bunch of their engineers need it. And so I'm just, I'm very curious. Like it's going to be, I think the potential is there for it to be pretty wild. This has been a very hot topic in the Mac Sparky, like meet labs, meetups and stuff. I mean, everybody's curious about it. I, I definitely have thoughts. Uh, first of all, I think you're right. The reason they announced the Mac Studio when they did is it gave them so much room at the top, right? Could you imagine if they announced a Mac Pro that starts at 10 grand and the Mac Studio didn't exist, right? That's, yeah, that'd be I bad mean, news. I feel like the Mac Pro, the Mac Pro is going to be built, it's going to be a Pixar machine. It's made for companies like Pixar. You know, it's not made for mere mortals. And I think you're right. I think it's going to have, you know, massive support for pluggable cards because it's just a, I'll be shocked if it doesn't, because that was the whole point of the last update to the Mac Pro, them realizing that, you know, people who make things that have interfaces with them need the ability to interface. You know, you can't write soundtracks without the ability to interface with your computer. So I think it's going to have external support, like way more IO support than anything that they currently sell. I also think this one's where I'm going out on a limb. I think it's going to be something like two times the ultra. Like they're going to take the ultra chip and they're going to find a way to glue two of them together. So it's going to be four times the power of a max that max on your desk, you know, two times the power of the max studio ultra It's just going to be kind of like the ultimate machine. And it it is going to require you to sell a kidney to buy one. And some people will line up for them. And most of us won't, you know, but I, I don't even know what the form factor will look like. I don't think it's going to be as big as the existing Mac pro, but no. it's, it's, it's got to have some external card support. So I, I just, there's so many questions about this. That's why I'm so excited. This is our last chance to kind of weigh in on it before I suspect Apple's going to, you know, lift the curtain on it. But I, uh, I, and also to answer your question, I don't think it's going to be M2 based. There's no way they're starting M2 with the highest end M2 chip. They gotta like work their way up to that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it being at the end of the year was like the only way I thought that that would be possible. But I think if I had to bet on one side or the other, I would say that it's a couple of M1 Ultras, you know, hot glued together. Yeah, but then at the same time, Turner said that the Mac Studio was the last of the M1 line. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, maybe it is an M2, but who knows. Well, either way, I'm looking forward to finding out next week what we get with respect to a Mac Pro. I have zero interest in buying one, but I uh, I can't help but be fascinated anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy with the Mac Studio. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. You know, I'm pretty happy with my MacBook Pro. <laughs> you know, man, they, Apple is making some great computers right now. Indeed. Oh, now let's transition to software, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> while we're talking about stuff we like uh what do you want for mac os what, what kind of stuff would you like to see next week if if your your wishes got answered i was surprised at how how much uh my stuff revolved around apple's widget system which on the mac at least is stuck in this weird today view over on the side and it's like they got rid of dashboard at exactly the wrong time that, that's my yeah. thesis here, that 
Yeah. It would be so great to have these widgets out on the desktop or or like dashboard was, right, just in a flyover type UI, and they're all just stuck in the side where you can't see them. And honestly, I forget about them half the time. And so on the Mac, at least, I'd like to see a more uh, fully featured sort of widget story on the Mac. Yeah. So currently, if you swipe with two fingers from right to left on your trackpad or on your mouse, uh, click the time in the upper right corner, you get a, a list of widgets that you can customize and access. But it's using up like, I don't know, maybe a 10% vertical space on the right side of your screen. So it's extremely limited as to what you can put there without having to scroll. And then you kind of lost the point of it at that point. And I'll be even more dead on with this. It just needs to be widgets on your desktop, period. No more, you know, side screen. Because with spaces, you can put them on a separate space and then you can put them to the side if you want them. But for those of us that just want to open our desktop and see that stuff, we should be able to do that. You can do it on the iPhone. You can do it on the iPad. The Mac is more powerful than those devices. You should be able to do it on the Mac. And it's totally optional. Nobody has to put any widgets on their desktop if they don't want to. But for those of us that would like access to quick information, this is such a no-brainer. I have a side request, too, while we're talking about the Mac. Free the productivity apps. Free them. I guess this is true across all platforms. Apple Mail, calendars, contacts, reminders, they should no longer be part of the operating system. All that stuff should just be, be out there. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about this on the show. These apps are kind of stuck with major OS releases. Unlike Shortcuts, we mentioned a few minutes ago how they've just been updating it all the time. The rest of Apple's productivity apps should definitely follow that trajectory. Yeah, each app gets a dedicated team. It doesn't have to be huge, but they get their own release schedule. They have to wait till June every year to give us something new. They just do it as they need it, just like they do with Pages, Numbers, and Keynote. And then since uh, I'm on the topic, I just thought I'd point out that it's been 11 years now since we first got five gigabytes of free iCloud data. <laughs> I did a blog post last week at Max Sparky that is longer than the Beatles were together. Wow. Just just so we're clear. I'm not going to say it's anymore. <laughs> it's time. I can't say it, anymore. It's time. Yeah. What about iOS? Uh, I'm going to stick with my widget theme here, and I, I really would like interactive widgets where they can have individual buttons or a text entry field or just some way that I can interact with them as opposed to just seeing information and then tapping it launches me somewhere into their app. I would like to be able to, for instance, with a timery, start or stop timers without having to open the app, just doing it you know, in the widget I have in the Today View It seems to me like an obvious next step for widgets, especially on iOS, but this goes for the other platforms as well. So that's that's what I want to see, man. Yeah, well, I mean, they backpedaled on that. They used to allow it, and when they changed the widgets to Swift UI, they took it out, but that's been now two years, so I feel like it's time to get back to where they were. And and again, that would work great on the Mac desktop too, man, just across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I'm going to ask for, just, just because why not? You know, make Apple Mail better. Like, there's so many things you could do to Apple Mail to make it better. 
Uh, I used to ask for it every year. Then I just stopped asking for it three or four years ago, just for old time's sake. I'm going to ask, make Apple Mail better. I, I recently started using FastMail as my mail provider, and I started using their iOS app. And there's like, even though it's not like made by Apple, and you know, there's little features in that app that are better than Apple Mail. I mean, it's like virtually anybody making a mail application has better features. They may not be as stable and um, you know, there are still good reasons to use Apple mail, but it's almost embarrassing at this point. Come on, Apple. Yeah, totally agree. It, it has fallen so far behind what others can do. And it's not that I think you can make more powerful and not bog down people who don't care about those features, right? You can, yep. you can add things to mail and still keep it simple, I think. And for whatever reason, they just haven't really, really touched it. iPad OS. What do you want? Oh man. I mean, I, I think for me, it's, uh, it's continuing to refine multitasking because it's still a mess. Yeah. Like window support, multiple window support. We actually got into this with Federico a few weeks ago and everything we said on that show is kind of what I want. I just better multitasking more than two windows, uh, some sort of grid system where I can put you know, three or four apps on the screen at a time and use them together. They make iPads with 13 inch screens. We should be able to, to use that real estate better. And I just feel like they could do better at that. And, uh, that that's like, uh, that's just what we need. Now, I was going to say table stakes, but I'm, I hate to say that because Apple may not do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? but, uh, you know, my decision to reduce my use of iPad has, been validated so far maybe next week they'll tempt me but i don't know the watch it's funny because we you and i prepare this outline separately but we both end up putting the same thing in yeah faces just faces yeah there's this rumor from mark german that they're going to overhaul some of the classic apple watch faces that really never got updated as the watch got bigger over the years and most of them are pretty bad now they're kind of still buried in there you can get to them but i think they need to do that and i think they just needed to continue to build tools to customize the watch face you know this idea that they had in the beginning that there's like seven or eight and you can pick a couple complications and that's it like they have grown past that but i would argue that most of the watch faces they've added like a lot of them like the portrait one right it's like it's a photo and like some time like that's great if that's what you want, but I think the best example they've done so far is the California watch face that you can really change in a bunch of really fundamental ways. They need to continue on that path because it is the most personal technology product they sell. You wear it on your wrist at all times and you should be able to do exactly what you want with it faces wise. And because they haven't opened it up to third parties, that's on Apple to do and they haven't done a great job of it mostly over the years. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's just bad. Like the, even the California face, right. They've got like a bunch of different colors of it, but I usually like to have a face where the hands of the watch are in contrast to the background color. You know, you know, I, I'm a little older. I want to be able to make sure I can see the hands of my watch against the background, but like nine out of 10 of the, color schemes for the California watch face, draw the hands as an outline. It's just a, you know, just like a circle, a, a, a transparent circle yeah. or a transparent, like um, 
rectangle. So you look at it and you're like, well, where, where is the minute hand? I'm not really sure right now, you know, but there's a couple that draw the hands in contrast to the background. You know, there's a couple different color variations, but there's only like three or four of them. So I'm stuck choosing between those three or four when I use the California face. It's like, you know, and then the other day I was using David Smith's Wadgets, uh, Widget Smith, you know, to do some stuff on my iPad. And I was just looking at when you set up a clock with David's app, you get to pick, are the hands going to be rectangles? Are they going to be arrows? Are they going to be, you know, little like lozenge shaped pills? What color do you want them to be? You Mm -hmm. know, like all these things that you just don't get with the Apple watch. Apple's like, no, this is what we think is good. You can have this one or that one, but you know, what if I want the hands from this one and the background color from that one? No, sorry, that's not possible, you know? And I feel like they should open it up to third-party app developers. If not, they should give us the ability to have a lot more control over what they are giving us. Yeah. And I I just don't know that that's going to happen. You know, maybe we are on the fringe and a lot of people just get an Apple watch and they use whatever faces on it. They don't worry, but I just don't like my watch face and I'm constantly changing it thinking that, you know, suddenly like I switched last week to utility again, you know, the original watch face I uh-huh. used just because I thought, well, maybe at least it has contrast and a few things I like. I mean, I, I just want more options. I, what I'd really like is for third parties to be able to make them, even if they have to go through an Apple vetting that would still at least give us a lot more options, but at a minimum, let me change the hand color and shape. You know, I, I don't know. I, I when we when this came up in the outline, there's really nothing I want in the watch more than just more control over the faces. I I can't come up with a feature right now as I sit here that I really feel like I need on the watch, but I want it to look better when I look at it on my wrist. Wrist, as Apple says, this is the most personal thing they sell. Why don't we have more control over the way it looks? Yep. In terms of tvOS, I think this is always the hardest thing. I would say widgets there would be cool too. But I really think the biggest problem with tvOS is that Apple's model for what shows up in the TV app and what is siloed into apps is still just so, it's just kind of broken. And a lot of that has to do with their content deals, right? Netflix doesn't want to be in that carousel at the top, you know, right it right next to Netflix and Disney Plus. And that's, Netflix's mistake, I think, but I think Apple needs to continue to work on them and other providers to really make the TV app, which has really become the interface for the Apple TV, to make that better. Um, I think the other thing they need to do in there is make it more clear when you can or are paying for additional content. And so I was paying for AMC Plus, I think is what they call it, AMC streaming service to watch the most recent season of Better Call Saul. Well, that season is on hiatus. It comes back later in the summer for part two of the final season. And so I'm not going to pay for it for a couple of months. And like trying to figure out where that is, I finally ended up just like searching my email and finding where I paid for it and then like managing my subscription from that link. But it would be nice to to know, like in one single place, what is feeding into the TV app? Uh, what am I paying for? Am I paying for that within Apple or outside of Apple? All oh, that's kind of muddy. And that's more a business problem than a technology problem, I think. But it's one that they need to address either way. 
Yeah, agreed. You know, you know, something else I'd like, and I know they have some HomeKit camera support in currently, but it's on the control panel. I think it'd be cool if we had a little more control over just the, I guess for lack of a better term, the home screen of the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to be able to put some of my cameras up. So anytime I turn on the Apple TV, I can just see, you know, what's at my front door. And um, I just feel like that stuff could evolve better, but I don't know that that'll happen. I think they're probably a little gun shy to make a lot of changes to the interface when they're, they're too busy trying to sell us Apple TV plus they want you to see all that, all those great clips. You know? Right. All right. Well, um, we're going to know you're going to be in the room where it happens. I'm once again, very excited for you. And also I'm excited for me and the audience that we get to hear firsthand the story from you. Uh, next week and uh, can't wait to share it so gang don't forget next week mac power users will not be in your sunday feed it'll be there hopefully monday afternoon or tuesday morning we're going to get it out as soon as we possibly can let's just put it that way and um go check that out uh, if you're interested in getting better at shortcuts on the mac i have something for you we got links in the show notes uh, take advantage of that uh, that release discount before it goes away thank you to our sponsors text expander source graph indeed and collide We'll see you next time.